Hello, this is Jesse Weiler from Adoramus Bulletin. Today I sat down with Father Nick Blaha, a priest of the Diocese of Kansas City, to talk about his experience as a priest celebrating Mass with little or no congregation for Holy Week. We often think about what it was like for us not being able to go to Mass, but these priests are not used to celebrating Mass with no congregation. So without further ado, an Adoramus interview. Okay, I am here today with Father Nick Blaha, who is a priest of the Diocese of Kansas City, Kansas. Father Nick, how are you doing today? Very well, Jesse. Very well, thank you. Good. I really enjoyed your articles about the experience of a priest during the Triduum without a congregation, which is why we're doing this little podcast today, because I think diving in a little bit deeper would be something that would not only be beneficial for the laity, but also other your brother priests as well. And I can imagine that the the perspective that you would have will just shed a lot of light on this whole situation for everybody. And I would be happy to dive in a little bit more if that's okay. Yeah, wonderful. I'm, I'd be honored. Thank you. So first, let's let's start with um, what what was it like for you when we first started to get these stay at home orders? But even before Triduum happened, when we started to pull back all of these these liturgies, uh, you know, in your city there, in your in your state, what was that like for you and your first immediate reaction and experience? Boy, the first thing that comes to mind is just, I remember walking around the parking lot of my church here and, you know, watching everything more or less collapse. It felt like collapse and thinking to myself, I have no idea what next week or a month from now is going to look like. Uh, this is really bad. And I, I was concerned. I was anxious. Um, first, first and foremost, you know, for the kind of practicalities of, of the parish and what does this mean for, for people and really, you know, all these things that I just plan my life around of daily and weekly liturgies, confirmation, first communion, like, I don't know what to do about any of this, you know, mm -hmm. is our school going to stay open? Like, well, uh, and, and, and just really consciously having to pray through, okay. Jesus knows what's going to happen a week from now or a month from now. Uh, Lord, whenever you're ready, just, uh, you know, let me know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, for me personally, it got real when I found out Easter services were going to be canceled. Yeah. That's that's when it really hit me the hardest. And, and I think, you know, figuring out how to do a mass on TV on Sundays. Yeah, that's difficult and we shouldn't have to do it, but. But I think you can get by, and I think there are some ways where you can bring those experiences back into the liturgy when you're done. But missing out on the, the Easter vigil, missing out on mm -hmm. the introduction of these people uh, who are or candidates into the church is such a magical and mystical thing that that's when my heart really felt heavy. And so as we were approaching that, um, I'd like to know two things. One, what were your actual limitations? Were you able to do confessions or adoration or like some people were doing drive-through confessions or, or drive-through masses? What were your limitations? And then what was that like as you were approaching Triduum? Well, I would say, you know, our, our limitations were, were similar to, to most of the country. So just 
limitations on the number of people that could gather in one place. So here in Kansas City, you know, before the the statewide shelter in place came about, the church had already made those decisions to say, you know, uh, we're actually not going to host public masses any longer. It never became no more confessions, no more anointing, nothing like that. It was it was mostly just the the public gathering side of it. And you know, we we continued to open the church for adoration. We continued to make confessions available. Those things were taken advantage of much less, partly because it was hard to get the message out to some of our community. Uh, many of whom are not digitally connected. Um, but then also people just, they got the message loud and clear that, you know, we shouldn't be around other people. So we're not going to go to confession or go to adoration or uh, even go to pray in church. So that took effect pretty quickly. And in terms of the, the triduum, because there's so much that re- that is available to the large congregation that people probably expected of you. Uh, what w- what was that like? Because you you would have a hard time limiting the number of people going to such events, and so I would imagine they were canceled, or or at least you didn't let the general public in. Right. We we had a small religious community here that was a part of those celebrations for us, which was beautiful. Um, and, and in fact, uh, you know, I mentioned that in the article a little bit is, is talking about how um, once we went through the grief of uh, lamenting the fact that this would not feel really like the, the peak of the liturgical s- season of the church, um, once we grieved that, and, and got down to the business of actually putting it together. Um, you know, that, that meant we focused on, on entirely different things. Um, and I know I'm being a little indirect in answering your question there, but the, the, the bottom line on that was this was my first year as a pastor and many priests would probably relate to this saying, you know, if you're presiding over multiple triduum liturgies and you're, you're dealing with multiple parishes there's a bit of a love-hate relationship with the Triduum. <laughs> I can, I can imagine. <laughs> um, you know, it's a beautiful time, obviously, and there's so much energy and grace that you can feel packed into that, that it's usually associated with a lot of tension and anxiety as well. And that was at least the case for me, except for this year. So mm-hmm. immediately so- that just changed into, well, what is this Triduum going to be about? Um, we right. what the triduum probably should have been and then and then settled into what this one's going to be. And and so what is that like? Not I mean, not just the triduum, but but liturgies alike, uh, all liturgies. What is it like to celebrate mass without a congregation? And I know you have the religious community there, but it has to be different. It has to be this sense of um, just kind of a solemn occasion where, you know, more people are supposed to be there. Yes. Two, two things really stand out in my experience with this particular circumstance. And that's of a sort of a sense of a little more closeness to the fundamental realities of life and death. We're all thinking about that a lot more. And that was much more viscerally present, which I think is true. It should be true of the liturgy period, right? I mean, we're right. talking fundamental universal mysteries that apply, you know, to, to human life as a whole. So that was the first thing is that, wow, this feels 
like life and death are caught up into this act of worship um, more so than usual. And the second thing is that we really, I, I would say I really felt the, the, the burden and the privilege of being someone who was praying on behalf of the people of God. Um, who were absent in body, but present in spirit. I know many of them, many of our parishioners were, whether or not they could watch on the live stream, you know. So those two things, the, the, the closeness of, of the realities of life and death and this intercessory identity, this priestly quality, which stood out, I think, much more in the context of mass or the triduum without a congregation, yeah, that that's very interesting, this idea that it's becoming more real to you as your priestly duty to be offering this whole thing for for the laity. I think it's getting more real for the laity and, and the presbyterate at the same time because we're both mm. – it shows that, that corporate worship of the body of Christ, and it also shows the cooperation between – Christ and and the body the body of Christ and the head of Christ and it really displays how important it is to have both parts in the liturgy both the priest at the head and and the people in the body and when we're without each other we ache we yeah. ache for the other and my thought is I I hope that we're able to take this momentum this that aching and then turn that and transition that into uh solving that as we're uh, able to approach the sacraments when these you know state laws and legislative things are lifted and i i'm just curious what would you think would be some good ways that we we're able to do that that we're able to then shift our perspective and to say like wow we know what it's like without this so let's value what we have when we have it you know, that's a great insight you have there about the ache. The, the general rule that I, that I apply to my own life and to that of, say, my spiritual directees is the ache keeps you awake. And that is certainly something that's borne out by our experience right now. And, and I think you speak to that pretty well. I, boy, as to the, the practical application of that is how do we maintain it, you know? Gosh, it's um, that's always the perennial question. Human beings get very comfortable very quickly. <laughs> we're we're a very adaptable species, aren't we? And we don't really um, we don't really hold on to these things very well, and we slide into our new rhythms very very easily. And you know, you're right. Without a very conscious, deliberate effort very little of the insights that we've gained and the graces that have inspired us during this time will remain. I, I think uh, it's just human nature. It's our fallen nature where we, we coast. Um, so for my part, what would my suggestions be along those lines? Um, I, I think it would be to just Pay very close attention to, to the nature of, of your aching right now and, 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 and do an inventory of that. Journal about it, make note of it, and, and then I find whatever that is for you, if it's an actual physical journal or a blog or a, a video 
conversation, you know, whatever it is, whatever means that podcast with other people. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Go back and listen to some old episodes of your podcast, right? Like that stuff. I find it so rich um, because we're able to send a a message to to future self, you know, Hey, don't forget this. I, I, this is what I did this exact thing after my previous move, because I felt like, gosh, I've, I've moved pastoral assignments several times and I'm not getting better at it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. still not going well. And I wrote down the things that I, I wish I had had in place beforehand that would have helped me, that would have helped the transition go much better. It would have helped people adjust to me a lot more easily. And so I, I wrote those things down and, I, and I, I put them in an envelope and I literally set it aside to say, read before your next reassignment. <laughs> yeah. I've done that on retreats before yeah. where they, where they've said, write a letter to yourself Yeah, and then they pre-stamp it and they get your address. And then suddenly you get that letter back like a year from then. And you're like, yeah. Holy, I even, I knew I was going to get this letter, but I forgot yeah. I was going to get this letter and now I have it. And then you're like, boy, that guy's naive. He doesn't know what the real world is like. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, you're you're imparting your 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 ever ancient wisdom from the past. I I like that idea. That's great. Yeah, and, and, and I'm often this is going to sound wrong, but I'm often surprised at how how insightful those things are, which is really just an indication of how how easily I forget things. Right. So we just forget stuff, and and it we take for granted, well, I've learned that lesson and I'm, and I'm going to internalize it and that's going to be with me forever. False. That's a lie. It's not true. So, um, make provision for whatever wisdom you've gained to, to actually remain in your life and, and become a conscious process of your reflection and your experience. So that would be my, my main suggestion. Um, you know, if you're not in the habit of journaling, sheltering in place is a good time to start. I, I think that's very true. My, my last question is something that I've been pondering personally, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, where I land on this. I've had this thought where, gosh, I've been without the sacraments for so long that I've told myself, you know, when I get out of here, like I'm leaving prison or something, but when I get out of here, I'm never going to miss daily mass ever again because I don't want to miss out on these graces that I've missed out now. At the same time, I do not want to make myself think that it is simply just that action that is going to create sanctification. And so I don't want to do that in a way that just becomes a pattern again or just becomes something that I'm just trying to create this habit of this so that because I know that action is a holy action and then I just rely too heavily on that. So so my question is, can how can we avoid becoming too dependent on the sacraments in a way that we warp them to what they're not. Hmm. Well, I would, I would just say this, you know, I, I think you're right to the, to be thinking, you know, when are the time, when is the time going to come again when I can receive the sacraments and, and really benefit from them again? And, and what are the ways that I, that I've maybe subjectively distorted them or, or allowed my own personal experience to color the way these things take uh, importance, relative importance in my life. I, I think a great way to prepare to receive the Eucharist well 
this is true of any circumstance, is to deeply internalize, reflect upon, and rejoice over the times that I have received them in the past. So we've all, we've all received the Eucharist, you know, countless times in our lives. Most of us have up to this point. Uh, that's not a negligible reality. And right now, all of our attention is ahead on when we will be able to return. But I suggest that really an effective way to make that return be what God wants it to be is to rest and savor, rest in and savor those experiences of sacramental encounter with the Lord that we have already had. The many experiences of his mercy in confession, the many experiences of healing and nourishment and strength that we receive from, from the Eucharist and the Holy Mass. Um, and to and to really understand ourselves here and now as those who have been graced in that way, many, many times, many, many far more, all of them uh, are more than the, than the times that we deserve, right? And yes, I'm still a sinner. Yes, I'm still bound in sin and, and afflicted by sin and, and attached to creatures over the creator. But there is a stream of grace that continues to flow in my life from those things such that if it were God's will, I could actually die today in, in, with, with a, a hope in the effects of those graces in my life that would be sufficient for my salvation. You know? mm -hmm. so, That's a beautiful answer. I like that. Well, I'll leave it at that then. <laughs> <laughs> Stop while you're ahead. No, uh, I, I like that because it proves something that we already believe, which is the timelessness of God. Yeah. And so truly – you know, receiving the Eucharist once in our entire life, truly just once really receiving Christ is good. That is a good thing. We benefit from the fact that we get to do it day in and day out. Thanks a lot in part to a lot of the uh, liturgical leaders who gave us more access to the sacraments, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, so I think keeping in that in mind, this timelessness and knowing that, there are circumstances right now that are not permitting me to do this, but that in the past I have fully received the way that Christ intended. And, and hopefully in the future, I will do is do that, that as well. I think mm -hmm. that puts me at a point where I can aim at a proper trajectory rather than landing in either extreme of those two, two um, scenarios. So thank you. I really appreciate that. Oh, amen. And I can't imagine I'm the only one thinking that at this time right now, because we have a lot of time to pontificate. So yeah. Father Nick, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your articles. I will post a link to your articles in the podcast show notes. And uh, we hope to hear uh, read from you more in the future at Adoramus Bulletin. So thank you and God bless. Thank you so much. And same to you, Jesse.